Chapter Thirteen of Science in Short Chapters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in September two thousand nineteen. Science in Short Chapters by W. Mathieu Williams. Chapter Thirteen The Solar Eclipse of eighteen seventy one the first telegrams this time we may fairly expect some approach to a solution of the riddle of the corona as the one essential which neither scientific skill nor government liberality could secure to the eclipse observers has been afforded that is fine weather the telegraph has already informed us of this and also that good use has been made of the good weather from one station we are told thin mist spectroscope satisfactory reversion of lines entirely confirmed six good photographs from another weather fine telescopic and camera photographs successful ditto polarization good sketches many bright lines in spectrum this is very different from the gloomy accounts of the expedition of last year when we consider that the different observers are far apart and that if all or some of them are similarly favoured we shall have in the photographs a series of successive pictures taken at intervals of time sufficiently distant to reveal any progressive changes that may have occurred in the corona while the moon's shadow was passing from one station to the other i anticipate some curious revelations from these progressive photographs that may possibly reconcile the wide differences in the descriptions that competent observers have given of the corona of former eclipses which they had seen at stations distant from each other barely two years have elapsed since i suggested in the fuel of the sun that the great solar prominences and the corona are due to violent explosions of the dissociated elements of water that the prominences are the gaseous flashes and the corona the ejected scoria or solidified metallic matter belched forth by the furious cannonade continually in progress over the greater portion of the solar surface this explanation at first appeared extravagant especially as it was carried so far as to suggest that not merely the corona but the zodiacal light the zone of meteors which occasionally drop showers of solid matter upon the earth and even the pocket planets or asteroids so irregularly scattered between the orbits of mars and jupiter consist of solid matter thus ejected by the great solar eruptions even up to the spring of the present year when mr lockyer and other leaders of last year's expeditions reported their imperfect results and compared them with various theories this one was not thought worthy of their attention since that time during the past six or eight months a change has taken place which strikingly illustrates the rapid progress of solar discovery observations and calculations of the force and velocity of particular solar eruptions have been made and the results have proved that they are amply sufficient to eject solid missiles even further than i supposed them to be carried mr proctor basing his calculations upon the observations of respighi zöllner and professor young 
has concluded that it is even possible that meteoric matter may be ejected far beyond the limits of our solar system into the domain of the gravitation of other stars, and that other stars may in like manner bombard the sun. This appears rather startling, but, as I have already said, the imagination of the poet and the novelist is beggared by the facts revealed by the microscope, so I may now repeat the assertion, and state it still more strongly, in reference to the revelations of the telescope and the spectroscope. As a sample of these, I take the observations of Professor Young, made on September 7th last, and described fully in Nature on October 19th. He first observed a number of the usual flame prominences having the typical form, which has been compared to a banyan grove. One of these banyans was greater than the rest. This monarch of the solar flame forest measured 54,000 miles in height, and its outspreading measured in one direction about 100,000 miles. It was a large eruption flame, but others much larger have been observed, and Professor Young would probably have merely noted it among the rest, had not something further occurred. He was called away for 25 minutes, and when he returned, the whole thing had been literally blown to shreds by some inconceivable uprush from beneath. The space around was filled with flying debris, a mass of detached vertical fusiform filaments, each from 10 seconds to 30 seconds long by 2 seconds or 3 seconds wide, brighter and closer together where the pillars had formerly stood, and rapidly ascending. Professor Young goes on to say that, When I first looked, some of them had already reached a height of 100,000 miles, and while I watched, they rose, with a motion almost perceptible to the eye, until in ten minutes the uppermost were 200,000 miles above the solar surface. This was ascertained by careful measurement. Here, then, we have an observed velocity of 10,000 miles per minute, and this is the gaseous matter, merely the flash of the gun by which the particles of solidified solar matter are supposed to be projected. The reader must pause and reflect, in order to form an adequate conception of the magnitudes here treated, 100,000 miles long and 54,000 miles high. What does this mean? Twelve and a half of our worlds placed side by side to measure the length, and six and three quarters piled upon each other to measure the height. A few hundred worlds as large as ours would be required to fill up the whole cubic contents of this flame cloud. The spectroscope has shown that these prominences are incandescent hydrogen. Most of my readers have probably seen a soap bubble or a bladder filled with the separated elements of water and then exploded, and have felt the ringing in their ears that has followed the violent detonation. Let them struggle with the conception of such a bubble or bladder magnified to the dimensions of only one such world as ours, and then exploded. Let them strain their power of imagination even to the splitting point, and still they must fail most pitifully to picture the magnitude of this solar explosion observed on September 7th last, which flashed out to a magnitude of more than 500 worlds, and then expanded to the size of more than 5,000 worlds, even while Professor Young was watching it.
Professor Young concludes his description by stating that it seems far from impossible that the mysterious coronal streamers, if they turn out to be truly solar, as now seems likely, may find their origin and explanation in such events. This, and a number of similar admissions, suggestions and conclusions from the leading astronomers, indicate that the eruption theory of the corona will not be passed over in silence by the observers of this eclipse, and it is to this that I have referred in the above remarks respecting the interest attaching to a series of photographs showing successive states of this outspreading enigma. Father Secchi's spectroscopic observations on the uneclipsed sun led him to assert the existence of a stratum of glowing metallic vapours immediately below the envelope connected with the hydrogen of the eruptions. This is just what is required by my eruption theory to supply the solid materials of the ejections forming the corona. Professor Young's announcement of the reversal of the spectroscopic lines at the moment when the stratum was seen independently of the general solar glare startled Mr. Lockyer and others who had disputed the accuracy of the observations of the great Italian observer as it confirmed them so completely. Skepticism still prevailed, and Young's observation was questioned, but now even our slender telegraphic communication from Colonel Tennant to Dr. Huggins indicates that the question must be no longer contested. Reversion of lines entirely confirmed is a message so important that if the expeditions had done no more than this, all their cost in money and scientific labor would be amply repaired in the estimation of those who understand the value of pure truth. A few more fragments of intelligence respecting the eclipse expedition have reached us, the last Indian mail having started just after the eclipse occurred. They fully confirm the first telegraphic announcement, rather strengthening than otherwise the expectations of important results, especially in reference to the photographs of the corona. I have read in the Salem newspapers some full descriptions by amateur observers, in which the general magnificence of the phenomena is described. From these it is evident that the corona must have been displayed in its full grandeur, but as the writers do not attempt to describe those features, which have at the present moment a special scientific interest, I shall not dwell upon them, but await the publication of the official report of the chief and of the more important collateral observing expeditions. The unsophisticated reader may say, Are not one man's eyes as good as another's? And why should the observations of the learned men of the expeditions be so much better than those of any other clear-sighted persons? This is a perfectly fair question, and admits of a ready answer. All that can be known by mere unprepared naked-eye observation is tolerably well known already. The questions which await solution can only be answered by putting the sun to torture by means of instruments specially devised for that purpose, and by a skilful organization and division of labor among the observers. There is so much to be seen during the few seconds of total obscuration that no one human being, however well trained in the art of observing, could possibly see all. Therefore, it is necessary to prearrange each observer's part, 
to have careful rehearsals of what is to be done by each during the precious seconds and each man must exercise a vast amount of self-control in order to confine his attention to his own particular bit of observation while he is surrounded with such marvellous phenomena as a total eclipse presents the grandeur of the gloomy landscape the sudden starting out of the greater stars the seeming falling of the vault of heaven the silence of the animal world the closing of the flowers and all that the ordinary observer would regard with so much awe and wondering delight must be sacrificed by the philosopher whose business is to confine his gaze to a narrow slit between two strips of metal and to watch nothing else but the exact position and appearance of a few bright or dark lines across what appears but a strip of coloured riband he must resist the temptation to look aside and around with the stubbornness of self-denial of another saint antonio besides this he must thoroughly understand exactly what to look for and how to find it by combining the results of his observations with those of the others who in like manner have undertaken to work with another instrument or upon another part of the phenomena we get a scientific result comparable to that which in a manufactory we obtain by the division of labour of many skilled workmen each doing only that which by his training he has learned to do the best and the most expeditiously further details by post although the formal official reports of the eclipse expedition are not yet published and may not be for some weeks or months we are able from the letters of lockyer jansen respighi maclear etc to form some idea of the general results we may already regard two or three important questions as fairly answered the reversal of the dark solar lines of the spectrum which was first announced by the great roman observer father secchi and seen by him without an eclipse may now be considered as established it is true that all the observers of eighteen seventy one did not witness this some were doubtful but others observed it positively and distinctly in such a case negative results do not refute the positive observations of qualified men especially when several of such observations have been made independently the phenomenon is but instantaneous a mere flash of bright stripes in place of dark lines across the coloured riband of the spectroscope which happens just at the moment before and after totality and is presented only when the instrument is accurately directed to the delicate curved vanishing thread of light which is the last visible fragment of the solar outline and that which makes the first flash of his reappearance a little explanation is necessary to render the significance of this reversal intelligible to those who have not specially studied the subject first when the spectroscope is directed to a luminous solid a simple rainbow band or continuous spectrum is seen when on the other hand the object is a luminous gas or vapour of moderate density the spectrum is not a continuous band with its colours actually blending it consists only of certain luminous stripes with blank spaces between them each particular gas or vapour showing its own particular set of stripes of certain colours and always appearing at exactly the same place so invariably and certainly 
that by means of such luminous stripes the composition of the gas or vapor may be determined if however the gas be much compressed the stripes widen as the condensation proceeds they may even spread out sufficiently to meet and form a continuous spectrum like that from a solid liquids also produce continuous spectra second when a luminous solid or liquid or very dense gas capable of producing a continuous spectrum is viewed through an intervening body of other gas or vapor of moderate or small density fine dark lines cross a spectrum in precisely the same places as the bright stripes would appear if this intervening gas or vapor were luminous and seen by itself when the spectroscope is directed to the face of the sun under ordinary circumstances it presents a brilliant continuous spectrum striped with a multitude of the dark lines from this it has been inferred that the luminous face of the sun is that of an incandescent solid or liquid and that it is surrounded by the gases and vapors whose bright stripes when artificially produced occupy precisely the same places as the dark lines of the solar spectrum this was the theory of kirchhoff and others in the early days of spectrum analysis when it was only known that solids and liquids were capable of producing a continuous spectrum the important discovery that gases and vapors if sufficiently condensed will also produce a continuous spectrum opened another speculation far more consistent with the other known facts concerning the constitution of the sun that is that the sun may be a great gaseous orb blazing at its surface and gradually increasing in density from the surface towards the center according to this the metals sodium calcium barium magnesium iron chromium nickel copper zinc strontium cobalt manganese aluminium and titanium whose vapors with those of some few other substances give the dark lines that cross the solar spectrum should exist neither as solids nor liquids on the solar surface but as blazing gases but such blazing gases according to what i have stated above should give us bright stripes instead of dark lines why then are not such bright stripes seen under ordinary circumstances this is easily answered these blazing gases must as we proceed from the surface of the sun downwards become so condensed by the pressure of their own superincumbent strata as to produce a continuous spectrum of great brilliancy with such a background the bright stripes would be confounded and lost to sight besides this the outer film of cooler vapor through which our vision must necessarily penetrate before reaching the luminous solar surface will produce the dark lines exactly where the bright stripes should be and thus effectually obliterate them or in other words the intervening non-luminous vapors are opaque to the particular rays of light which the bright vapors of the same substance emits therefore according to this theory if we could sweep away these outside darkening vapors and screen off the inner layers of denser blazing matter which produces the continuous background we should have a spectrum displaying a multitude of bright stripes exactly where the black lines of the ordinary solar spectrum appear 
Setchi announced that these bright lines were to be seen under favourable circumstances, when, by skilful management, the rays from the edge of the sun were so caught by the slit of the spectroscope as to exhibit only the spectrum of the superficial layer of the sun's bright surface. This was disputed at the time by Mr. Lockyer, who, I suspect, omitted to consider the atmospheric difficulties under which English astronomers work, and the fact that the atmosphere of Italy is exceptionally favourable for delicate astronomical observation. If he had fairly considered this, I think he would agree with me in concluding that an observation of this kind, avowedly made with great difficulty and questionable distinctness by so skilful a spectroscopic observer as Father Secchi, could not possibly be seen by any human eyes through a London atmosphere. Subsequently, Professor Young startled the astronomical world by the announcement that, at the moment when the thinnest perceptible thread of the sun's edge was alone displayed during the eclipse which he observed, the whole of the dark lines of the solar spectrum flashed out as bright stripes in a most unmistakable manner. This observation is now fully confirmed. The first telegrams from Mr. Pogson, the government astronomer of Madras, and from Colonel Tennant, both announced this most positively, Colonel Tennant's words being, the reversion of the lines fully confirmed. A similar result was obtained by some, but not by all, of the Ceylon observers. To understand this clearly, we must consider the fact that what appears to us as the outline of a flat disk is really that part of the sun which we see by looking horizontally athwart his rotundity, just as we look at the ocean surface of our own earth when we stand upon the shore and see its horizon outline. When the moon obscures all but the last film of this solar edge, we see only the surface of the supposed gaseous orb, just that portion of the blazing gases which are not greatly compressed by those above them, and which accordingly should, if they consist of the vapours or the gases above named, display a bright striped spectrum, provided the intervening non-luminous vapours of the same metals are not sufficiently abundant to obscure them, at this particular moment, when only the absolute horizon line is seen, and the body of the moon cuts off all the intervening solar surface, and the lower or denser portion of the intervening supersolar vapours, though, of course, these are not so entirely cut off as the continuous background. The reversion of the dark lines therefore reveals to us the stupendous fact that the surface of the mighty sun, which is as big as a million and a quarter of our worlds, consists of a flaming ocean of hydrogen and of the metals above named in a gaseous condition, similar to that of the hydrogen itself. This fact, coupled with the other revelations of the spectroscope, which, without the help of an eclipse, reveals the surface outline of the sun, the sierra and the prominences, tell us that this flaming ocean is in a state of perpetual tempest, heaving up its billows and flame alps hundreds and thousands of miles in height, and belching forth above all these still taller pillars of fire that even reach an elevation of more than a hundred thousand miles, and then burst out into mighty clouds of flame and vapour, bigger than five hundred worlds. 
what does the last eclipse teach us in reference to the corona firstly and clearly that lockyer's explanation which attributed it to an illumination of the upper regions of the earth's atmosphere must be now forever abandoned this theory has died hard but in spite of mr lockyer's proclamation of victory all along the line it is now past galvanizing there can be no further hesitation in pronouncing that the corona actually belongs to the sun itself that it is a marvellous solar appendage extending from the sun in all directions but by no means regularly the immensity of this appendage will be best understood by the fact that the space included within the outer limits of the visible corona is at least twenty times as great as the bulk of the sun itself that above twenty-five millions of our worlds would be required to fill it jansen says i believe the question whether the corona is due to the terrestrial atmosphere is settled and we have before us the prospect of the study of the extrasolar regions which will be very interesting and fertile the spectroscope the polariscope and ordinary vision all concur in supporting the explanation that the corona is composed of solid particles and gaseous matter intermingled it fulfills exactly all the requirements of the hypothesis which attributes it to the same materials as those which in a gaseous state cause the reversion of the dark lines above described but which have been ejected with the great eruptions forming the solar prominences and have become condensed into glowing metallic hailstones as their distance from the central heat has increased these must necessarily be accompanied by the vapours of the more volatile materials and should give out some of the lighter gases such as hydrogen which under greater pressure would be occluded within them just as the hydrogen gas occluded within the substance of the lenarto meteor a mass of iron which fell from the sky upon the earth was extracted by the late master of the mint by means of his mercurial air-pump the rifts or gaps between the radial streamers which have been so often described and figured but were regarded by some as optical illusions are now established as unquestionable facts mr lockyer the last to be convinced is now compelled to admit this which overthrows the supposition that this solar appendage is a luminous solar atmosphere of any kind if it were gaseous or true vapour it must obey the law of gaseous diffusion and could not present the phenomena of bright radial streamers with dark spaces between them unless it were in the course of very rapid radial motion either to or from the sun the photographs have not yet been published when they have all arrived and can be compared we shall learn something that i anticipate will be extremely interesting respecting the changes of the corona as they have been taken at the different stations at different times i alluded to this subject before when it was only a matter of possibility that such a succession of pictures might have been taken we now have the assurance that such pictures have been obtained there can be no question about optical illusion in these they are original affidavits made by the corona itself signed sealed and delivered as its own act and deed End of chapter 13